from the CD studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another high-flying episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. Are there plants you can grow that'll feed hungry birds naturally during the winter? I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss how you can watch the birds dine without the risks that bird feeders bring to the table. Plus, an especially heaping handful of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and erratically erroneous exclamations. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you watching your birds and feeding them, too. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host. Later on in the show, can you grow your own bird seed so that you don't have to lug those big bags back from the store? Well, we thought about that one quite a bit, and we have an interesting suggestion for those of you who want to help your wintertime birds in a much more natural manner. But first, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444, 888-492-9444. Kelly, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Well, thank you, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm calling you from Alexandria, Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C. Okay, I know that area really well. What can we do for Kelly in Alexandria? Well, I have two little lime hydrangea. I moved here about three years ago, and I had a company to put them in. The first year, the blooms weren't so great, but no big deal because it was they were young. And one or two of the blooms kind of died on the vine, and they stayed all year. I wasn't really sure whether I was supposed to cut them off or not. And then it bloomed again the following year, but more. So now this year, I had big blooms, but all of the blooms kind of died and froze on the, on the vine, on the bush. So now I've got two little lime hydrangea and they kind of look like just sort of like dead hydrangea. Now I grew up in Philadelphia and we had hydrangea and our hydrangea never did this. So I'm just really not sure what to do. Are you supposed to cut at the end of the season somehow? Are you supposed to cut them off? It took them a couple of weeks actually to actually die. They went from sort of white and pink to sort of beige, and then they just sort of stopped and froze on the vines, and they've been like that all fall and early this winter. Well, first of all, it's a good time, even though actually it's past time, uh, but you never prune anything in the fall. Uh, Pruning stimulates growth. And that new growth, if it occurs during warm weather and then we have a hard freeze, that can kill the plant. Whereby if you had just left it alone to follow its own national seasonality, so to speak, it would be fine. 
Now, you're talking about Limelight uh, hydrangeas, that brand, the one with the uh, light green flowers that are kind of conical in shape? Yeah, I would say that. The company told me they were Little Lime. To be honest, I never really followed up. But I saw in my area some other limes that looked like this, or that's what they're saying. But, yeah, they started out pretty small, arid toward white and green, and then sometimes they turn a little bit pink. Um, they're, I would call them more roundish than cone-shaped, but, okay. I mean, I guess it depends. Okay. No, no, no. Now you've described the right kind of hydrangea, the same kind I have with the, the big flowers that are either red or blue, depending on the pH of your soil. Generally, when I hear lime, I think of a type of hydrangea, uh, that is pyramidical, the flowers in shape, um, and it is bright green. So I'm not sure why they're calling yours lime, but let's not uh, let's not go walking down that block. Now, the life cycle of a hydrangea is that includes the fact that they're not meant to look good this time of year. They are not a four season plant. In the dead of winter, Everyone with a hydrangea looks at them and goes, why did I plant this thing? This is ugly as the dog breakfast. (laughs) But in the spring, new growth will appear, and uh, then it will be followed by flowers. Um, And how long the flowers persist depends on the environment. Um. They don't want to be exposed to direct sun all day long in your area of Virginia. They would like a little afternoon shade. They also are water hungry. I mean, they are they just put on a show like they're dying. Oh, I'm 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 weak. I'm weak. I need water. And then you give them a little water and they go, oh, we're fine. What are you making a fuss over? So in my garden, um, I see hydrangeas as the canary in the coal mine. When they start to wilt, it generally means it's getting too hot for them. And really, the only thing you can do is keep them well watered at that time. So let's say we keep the blooms. And then as the weather starts to cool, the blooms will turn brown. And if left alone... They will stay on the plant until I haven't. No, mine don't have any yet. Uh, still, I mean, um, you know, probably around, by the holidays, um, the the heads will have dropped. So you have two choices there. Um, when the flowers turn brown, you can either leave them on the plant. Um, to feed the birds naturally, and to provide what Martha Stewart calls winter interest, something to look at other than dead stalks. Or if you want to fool around, as the, as the flowers turn, begin to turn brown, uh, you can cut them, bring them in size, inside, put them in a vase without any water, and they will dry naturally, and a lot of people like the look of the uh, the brown flower heads. But so far, it doesn't seem to me like anything is wrong. Um, 
you don't have flowers yet. You kind of mentioned that, but not in January. Well, I guess the, I mean, it, it is a little unsightly, but I'm fine with that. You know, I can hang in there a while. I guess my question was really, it kind of, last year they bloomed and it kind of overtook the, the brown, the dead ones, but the dead ones didn't fall off. They never fell off as you suggested. Okay. They all stayed on the vine. Well, so, I mean, at this point I'm looking at probably like 80 blooms, which is wonderful. It means I have blooms coming. But do I have to cut them all off, like, as it gets warmer? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sort of... No, no, no. Um, you have 80 new blooms opening, or you have 80 leftover dried flower heads? I have 80. 80 left over from last. I mean, I'm looking, yeah, easily between two plants. Like they both, they look exactly as they looked at the end of the summer, except dead. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, I mean, they're they're seasonal plants. Um, they're dormant. They're not evergreens. So it's your choice. There's nothing wrong here. You can leave the flower heads on to feed the birds, or you can go out and quote dead head the flowers just gently pull them off and then compost them or just toss them somewhere uh but it sounds like nothing is wrong and uh don't prune the plants it's almost impossible to prune hydrangeas correctly but after they fully flower and you see all the flowers you're going to get for that summer then you can go in and cut away any dead stalks, and that'll clean the plant up and make it look like you got more flowers. Okay. All right. So just to recap, I can wait till it fully blooms and then cut off the dead stalks. Or now, I'm talking to you in January, I can go out and deadhead because it's not fall, and fall is bad to prune. Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> not going January, to prune. So about, you're not going not to prune. You're just going to reach up to that flower head and pinch it off. Okay, I can do that. You're going to use your bare hands or gloved hands. Okay. All right, Kelly. I can do that. Yep. All right. Well, good luck to you and uh, happy winter. <laughs> Thank you. Happy winter to you, too. Thank you for answering my call. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for making it. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that my upcoming appearance at the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Hartford Convention Center is, well, well, it's upcoming. I'll answer your garden questions on Friday afternoon, February 23rd, and then I'll talk tomatoes and compost on Saturday the 24th. 
But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. And coming up later in the show, we're going to take a provocative look at feeding the birds and explaining one unique way you might be able to watch them and feed them all without a feeder. It'll be exciting. But in the meantime, in the meantime, in between time, it's back to your phone calls. 888-492-9444. Mary Ann, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited because I discovered your show and I'm loving it. Oh, thank you very much. Um, We're loving that it exists. Um, Okay, where are you? Uh, in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. Okay, just outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And what can we do you for? Well, Mike, I had this gorgeous snake plant. It was a very large one with many strong, dark green leaves. I had it for three years in one spot in the living room where it got good light. And I watered it sparingly because they say that's sort of a succulent. But it just... Um, started to fail, and a lot of the fronds started just drying up and, and bending over and turning yellow. And uh, I thought, what can I do? So I, I tried to let it dry out. I, I didn't water. I didn't water it unless it truly needed it. And then I noticed that it was getting. They were more and more were falling apart. And uh, so I decided to take it out and replant it because I thought, well, maybe it's gotten too big for the pot and it needed, you know, more uh, room. And and I used some organic potting soil. And ever since that, it's completely in distress. I don't know. I've taken it in during the, uh, you know, taken it out during the warm days, let it get some sun and brought it back in. And it is in terrible shape. I'd love to save it, but I don't know what to do about it. Okay. All right. Well, first you win um, an award of non-merit. This is supposed to be the bulletproof houseplant. I know. I've always said the one plant you can't kill is a snake plant, which, as you know, Mm -hmm. is 
also known as mother-in-law's tongue. And oh, oh yeah, that's that's another name, and um, we won't dwell on that. But okay. uh, yeah, now when you took it out to repot it, um, did you examine mm-hmm. the roots? Yes, they had good roots. And uh, but some they actually got a couple of them would look actually a little slimy. Okay. And I Good. discarded those. I discarded those and shook off the dirt and used just what was looked healthy. Yes. To repot. Excellent. And um, they're they're doing terrible. Yeah. Well, uh, they have been overwatered. Um, uh, I'm not sure. Well, for instance, I have two snake plants that go back to mm-hmm. the 70s when I lived in um, a big old mansion in West Philadelphia with a bunch of mm. other people. And my two snake plants are the same snake plants um, that I took with me when we closed the house down. And they mm-hmm. are remarkably healthy. Um I think one reason is um, I deliberately ignore them. And in the case of one, I forgot it was there for a couple of months. And (laughs) uh, as you said, it is a succulent. It stores Mm -hmm. water. Uh, But rotting roots are um, a clear sign of overwatering. Now, did you rinse off the root system after you did that? Yes. We I rinse it off, shook off everything, just left the roots there. Even let them sit in the sun a little bit to dry while I was uh, putting okay. the potting soil. Roots after cleaning the pot. Roots can absorb sunlight. <laughs> They're underground. Oh. Only oh, the God. leaf structure of a plant can process sunlight. The fruits can't, okay. and the roots can't. Now, uh, does this plant go out for the summer? No. But it you, doesn't. it's always been a house plant. Okay. And speaking of of these uh, um, snake plants, I have one that is not as big, but is thirty years old. Yeah. And it's doing great. I don't know what happened to this well, one. Well, then you have to decide. One. Um, for instance, what kind of pot is the bad one in? It's in. Um, a plastic pot, okay. and then I put that inside a big ceramic pot. Oh, is there drainage in the ceramic pot? Yes. Um, do you put a saucer underneath to catch any water that runs through? Yes, yes. Yeah, but I've never had it where it collected water like that. Because, well, like I said, I'm very sparing when I water that. And well, I what do you call very rarely water What do you call sparing? Um, I would not Uh, water my snake plant. Um, I would let it go for two months easy in between waterings. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because if if that I say that was about it. If that root area stays constantly moist, you're going to get root rot, Mm -hmm. and that's going to reflect in the plant. Now, you say you've been carrying Mm -hmm. it in and out on a stretcher trying to— you know, make it happy, <laughs> yeah, you know, turning yes. it towards the window so it can watch the birds at the feeder. Um, um, that's, sounds like that, right? Yeah, that's the worst thing you can do for one of these house plants. 
the only oh. time they tend to misbehave is when they come back in at the end of summer. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Is it near a heat source? Is it near a hot air vent or a radiator? No. No. What's, Not at all. It's, what's the difference? It in... gets light from the one window. Yeah. And that's pretty much well lit all day. And that's it. I, like, like I said, I've had it for three years. And it's done so well. And it's yeah, yeah, yeah. We got downhill. you. Now, um, you say it's in a window. Um, is this sitting in direct light from the east or south? Uh, not direct. It's in a well-lit room, though. Well, the well-lit is fine. Um, these mm-hmm. plants can be damaged by direct sun. Yeah, so, it's never been in direct sun except when I took it out. Those okay. few days when I repotted it. And is the other one also in a double pot? No, it is not. It's in a ceramic pot. Okay. With good drainage? By itself. Yes, very good. Okay. Um, Plastic pots are great when you want to maintain moisture. Uh, They hold moisture Uh well. Ceramic and terracotta tend to leach their moisture into the air, which for your plant would be good. So what I'm going to mm-hmm. suggest is one last, one last trip outside the green okay. mile here um, <laughs> and really clean up those roots. Really pay attention okay. to them. Get a hose or a bucket of water and really get every bit of sliminess off of those roots. And then repot it into the ceramic pot. Lose the plastic pot for now. Um, Remove any leaves that are really most sincerely dead. And then just be patient. Um, Again, like the fact that it doesn't need to be watered frequently, it's going to be a slow grower. Uh, But they do resist dying. So don't freak out if nothing good happens uh, over the winter. Uh, do be okay. happy if nothing bad happens. Mm-hmm. So I, I think getting, okay. it, getting it into a ceramic pot, um, even cutting back more on the water, although probably the plastic pot was holding water in the bottom, and, and just mm-hmm. be patient. And you got a backup okay. plant, you know? <laughs> I do, but, I mean, this one was really gorgeous, but like about three feet tall and very, very full. And now it's maybe has three or four clusters left, and that's it. All right. Well, let's see if we can bring it back to life. If not, treat yourself to a new one. Okay. That's good advice. All right, I'm going to definitely give it another try. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. You too.
And yes, thanks to popular support, it is time for another edition of In the News, where we discuss an article that I have found in a newspaper somewhere. Remember newspapers? I love them. Anyway, this is uh, from the Columbia Insight, which is a newspaper in the Portland, Oregon area, written by Nathan Giles. And it is a great uh, response to climate change and the loss of native trees. As Nathan puts it, um, as native trees in the Pacific Northwest die off due to climate change, the U.S. Forest Service, the city of Portland, and citizen groups around Puget Sound are turning to a deceptively simple climate adaption strategy called assisted migration. As the world's climate warms, tree growing ranges in the northern hemisphere are predicted to move further north and higher in elevation. (laughs) And as Nathan puts it brilliantly, trees, of course, can't get up and walk to their new climate homes. This is where assisted migration is supposed to lend a hand. Now, there is a controversy here about how this should be done because the species that they would introduce to these areas would be from areas more southern, so they're not native trees. For instance, the project involves testing whether breeds of native Douglas fir and western hemlock from drier parts of the Pacific Northwest could be used to help western Washington forests adapt to climate change. Uh, It says the Nature Conservancy is focusing on population migration because it has fewer ecological risks. Um, So the alternative is they're taking seeds of native trees and replanting them, trying to extend the range, but they want to keep the forests alive. So what do you think, cats and kittens? Um, There are always dangers when you bring in non-native species, but it seems like climate change is giving us a non-native world, and there's lots of ways to adapt to that. I personally like the idea of bringing in seedlings of slightly tougher species, but I may be in the minority there, and some people may prefer to just try and find uh, cultivars of the native trees that are more drought and especially heat resistant. But we're going to keep an eye on this. It's one of the first articles I've seen where people are fighting back to keep an area forested. And there's very few things more important going on in the world today. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone that my return to the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Hartford Convention Center in February is now just a month away. I'll do an enlightening Q&A on Friday afternoon, the 23rd, 
And then on Saturday, the 24th, it'll be talks on tomato growing, composting, and raised bed building. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with how to grow your own bird seed and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and yes, we now are in the stretch. Cats and kittens, in just a little bit, we'll discuss growing your own bird seed. You won't want to miss it. And you won't, because it's coming up after a couple more of your phone calls at 888-492-9444. Lee, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, thank you. It's great to be talking with you. It's great to be talking with you, Lee. (laughs) What they don't know outside of behind the scenes is that it took us a while to hook this call up. But we're glad to have you on. Thank you for your patience. And how you doing? I'm doing fine. I just have a question or a worry that I hope that you can help me feel better about. Um, we've had a very uh, rough winter here in Tennessee. What part of Tennessee, may I ask? Um, Middle Tennessee. We call our town Mount Juliet, a suburb of Nashville. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, Nashville is... A great responsive town for us. We love it. Um, So what's going on? Well, about three weeks ago, we had a snow uh, that was preceded by a freezing rain. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've lost a lot of ornamental shrubs, I believe. By now, the leaves are falling off. Burford Holly, I think it is, and even some of our Manhattan's uh, shrubs ornamental in our area and in our home yard. And I was wondering if you could give me any peace of mind, will those come back? Well, you know, with all of these kind of questions, nobody knows the answer till spring arrives. Um, All of those plants have the capability of growing or putting on new growth. Um, they may need a year to kind of stumble around in the dark and recover. But there's no reason to believe that they are really most sincerely dead. Um, what is happening with your weather now? It's actually warmer than usual. That's not, uh, well, that's not unusual in Tennessee, but we're maybe in the 50 to 60 degree range for several days. And then from history, it may snow again in the next week or two. Right. Um, And you said you had an ice storm followed by snow. Correct. Not a deep snow, but an ice storm. Yes, that's right. Ice is the worst. Ice can severely damaged plants just by the by the weight the sheer weight of the ice on the plants 
you know, heck, it collapses roofs. So um, how how has the rain been um, this winter? Well, pretty good this winter. I looked to see if we were considered to have a drought during the summer. It, we went for weeks without rain in uh, July, August, and September. But then when I looked at the records, it didn't consider it a drought. I was worried maybe that was part of the hardship, and then the ice came. Well, uh, you're kind of right. If uh, weather like that is predicted and it has been very dry lately, it it may be counterintuitive, but it's a good idea to water your plants at the base before the weather event hits. Um, Plants that are well hydrated are less likely to suffer tip burn and other things from cold winds. And it's a sin you didn't get a lot of snow, because snow protects plants better than any kind of mulch. So there's, you know, there's nothing, and we're hearing about this um, a lot from Tennessee, but a lot from other places as well. Anytime you get really cold and windy conditions and the plants are already a little dry, it really stresses them. But the most important thing you can do now is nothing. Don't look at them. Don't think about them. Uh, Pick a good streaming service and binge on like eight different shows. And in the spring, you should hopefully see signs of life. If you do, don't clean them up. Don't prune anything off. Wait till everything has shown you what it's going to do. Let's say we're in May now. And at that point, it would be safe to remove totally dead branches. Um, but other than that, it's it's in the hands of God, my child. I was afraid of that. It's pretty massive. You can almost go anywhere and see it on shrubs around our area. And um, we will see. Step away, yes. <laughs> not, not intervene and give it time. The impulse, the gardener's impulse is to always help. And that's always the wrong thing to do. Let nature handle this. She has been through this before. And the fact that it's afflicted so many of your neighbors, you can't take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> but be patient. Wait to see how they um, leaf out in the spring. And if you're uncertain about something, if some plants leaf out and some plants don't, again, I would urge you to be patient. And if a plant is really truly dead, wait till the fall to replace it. Because there's going to be a big run on shrubs in the spring in your area. And by fall, they will have restocked and the prices will be lower, and it's a great time to plant new trees and shrubs. In the meantime, just throw a shroud over them and pretend it's Lent, you know. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm sorry for your troubles. It's nothing you did, and I wish you luck, and um, take care of yourself. 
I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It gives me peace of mind just to not intervene and step away, and we'll try that and see what comes of it. Very good. You'll do better than your neighbors who hop in there with fertilizer and pruners. All right, you you take care, and bye-bye for now. Thank you. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling Grow Your Own Bird Seed. Dan in Cedar Creek, Tennessee, recently left us this message. I want to ask Mike about growing bird seed. I went shopping for some, and man, that stuff is expensive. What can we grow in the garden that'll feed our little friends over the winter? I'm looking for something we can bag up. I know about sunflowers, but I think there's a certain kind that birds like. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dan, for a great question. Over the years, we have done many articles about growing plants that attract birds, but the focus has always been on meat-eating birds in the summer, as they are one of nature's best pest controllers, from bluebirds chowing down on caterpillars to tiny hummingbirds, which the University of California notes are predators of a surprising number of insects. In fact, the noted University of Delaware entomologist Doug Tallamy has been quoted as saying that although hummingbirds do need nectar, 80% of their diet is insects and spiders. Huh, who'd have guessed? But as usual, I digress. To answer the question directly, there are three plants you should grow to feed birds over the winter. Sunflowers, sunflowers, and sunflowers. And yes, there are several types of sunflowers that produce large seeds. But the National Wildlife Federation says that while birds will, quote, devour all types, black oil sunflower seeds are your best bet. Even though they're smaller than gray and striped sunflower seeds, sometimes called confectionary sunflower seeds, as they're the type whose shells line the floor of every major league dugout, Black oil seeds contain lots of protein and fat, the highest percentage of oil, and have the thinnest hulls, making them easier for birds to crack open. Note, I am a member of the NWF and thus assured of having more return address labels than any human could ever need. Oh, and I'm helping to save tigers, polar bears, great apes, and yes, even hummingbirds at the same time. The website of Adams Fair Acre Farms, a family business based in New York State that dates back to 1919, reminds me that sunflower shells and husks are allopathic, meaning they can inhibit the growth of nearby plants the way black walnut roots do to kill tomatoes. And a lot of those uneaten plant parts will be deposited right underneath your sunflowers, So either cordon the area off and reserve it for future sunflower production or use a tarp to collect the debris and then pour it on plants you despise. Fairacre Farms also notes that harvested seed is difficult to keep fresh. It needs low humidity, good airflow, and I'll add protection from vermin. Several other sites also note the tendency of these seeds to spoil quickly in storage, so I came up with a plan that prevents the need 
for storage. Plant as many oil sunflowers as you can near a window that's going to provide bird watching access. Remember, the action is going to be six to 10 feet off the ground. These are big plants. Chemical fertilizers are the enemy of giant sunflowers, so feed the growing plants only with compost, worm castings, and the like. They are also a, quote, long-season crop, needing 100 to 120 days to produce ripe seed, and that's only after that seed has been planted in very warm soil. But luckily, those numbers are for sunflowers that are direct-seeded, so you can gain six weeks by starting the seeds indoors with your tomatoes and such. Or you can arrange to buy started plants from your local nursery if you haven't started plants from seed before. Sunny windowsill is Latin for death to plants. Depending on your climate, the seeds will begin ripening by late summer. At that point, cover the seed heads with grocery store paper bags, being sure to poke a bunch of holes in them for airflow, or cover the heads with bird netting or wire mesh to protect the seeds. The seeds will continue to mature because only the leaves are needed to process light. When the first chill arrives, uncover one of the heads and watch the show. Then space the rest of the plants out over winter. You'll not only be growing your own bird seed, but helping the birds eat in a much more natural setting than feeders, which are strongly associated with devastating avian diseases due to overcrowding at the feeder and all the poop it collects. In addition, do not, quote, clean up your garden in the fall. The more natural you leave it, the more food you'll provide for the birds. This is especially true of tall plants like hostas, which produce large seed heads that birds love to eat over the winter. And think local. Much of the advice I found online would only be true for a very specific climate. And they don't mention that. So search carefully, you should. Contact your local extension office, inquire about correct planting times in your area, and ask for lists of other plants that attract birds, especially bushy perennials that produce berries and provide protection from predators. And remember to lean into nature. Birds have survived winter without us for untold centuries. They know how to feed themselves. And whether we like it or not, bird feeders are for human amusement only. And they can be a threat to the health of the birds you think you're helping. Sorry about all that. I got into this business to talk the truth and not to be popular. I think I succeeded nicely on that last part. Well, that sure was a possibly discomforting look at how to feed winter birds without risking their health. Now, wasn't it? Luckily, you are now once again able to read this awesome advice over at your leisure or your leisure at the Gurneys, G-U-R-N-E-Y-S, website. Check out the new link 
at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Yikes, my producer is threatening to steal my sunflower seeds if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse of a question teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. And please, please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus audio of this show, audio and video of previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he foolishly stared directly at a total solar eclipse. Luckily, he was using an old edition of the Farmer's Almanac and got the day wrong. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and keep up with what's happening with our show at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Jasmine Griffin. Our irreplaceable audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Zach the Takwisneski and Ducky the Dancing Duck are in the house. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your bedraggled host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be watching my birds enjoy the winter weather much more than I do. Until I can see you again next week. Hey, birds, get that ice dam off the roof. Come on, earn your bird feet. <laughs>